what a powerful name. What a beautiful name. What a majestic name. What a holy name. What a perfect name. The name of Jesus. What a kingly name. You have no rival. You have no equal, Jesus Christ. I pray right now you would look upon our hearts and you would not see hearts that desire to rival you. That you would see hearts that desire to, in humility, come under the authority of your word today and not rival you. Father, I pray for teachability. I pray for hunger and humility and overflowing from that holiness in you by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, would you continue to do this work? We need to hear from you, Jesus. I pray right now, whatever distractions have happened this week, in faith, we would just cast those at the foot of the cross, casting them on you because you care for us, saying, Jesus, I can't take this. I'm overwhelmed by this. I'm fearful of this. I'm anxious about this. I'm doubting you in this. Right now, we just choose in faith to cast those on you, to receive your refreshment, to receive your strength, and to not be burdened by things that you want to carry on our behalf. For that is why you went to the cross. So Lord, I pray right now you'd give us ears to hear what you would say to your church. Guard my mouth from error and say it, Lord. In Jesus' name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let's open up our Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 7 today. If you do not have a copy of God's Word in front of you, just put up your hand. Our ushers are coming up and down the aisles. Now we want to put a Bible in your lap so you can continue to follow along with us. Colossians chapter 2, 1 to 7, and in those Bibles that the ushers are handing out, it's on page 572, 572. Well, it's always an exciting Sunday. It's never just another Sunday. Uh, but today is extra special as we're kicking off the new ministry year. The fall 2019 and then subsequently to 2020, 2020 ministry year. And it's, as I was thinking about that in preparation for this launch, it got me really reflecting on the last two and a half years, almost two and a half years since we launched on April 2nd, 2017. And then it got me thinking even more beyond that when my wife and I made a trip to Ottawa here with our children and just gathered about eight or nine people to a table at Eastside Mario's in Gloucester and said, what, what would God do if we just took him at his word and came and planted a church by the power of his Holy Spirit that was standing on the authority of Scripture and was alive and what would it look like and we by God's grace by God's mercy towards us we have seen wonderful things happen over the last two and a half years lives changed for the glory of God people saved families healed people baptized and as I was thinking about that it'd be so easy to just rest on that but it got me thinking this week and the previous week about this question that literally keeps me up at night most nights you can ask my wife and it is this, are we a church that is truly alive in Christ? We can see all these things, but are we a church that is truly alive in him? I mean, that begs the question, what does a church, and by extension, what does a life founded on Jesus Christ, what does a family that is alive in Jesus Christ look like from God's eyes? Not from what man sees. And you say, well, why is it so important? I mean, isn't the church growing? We're seeing all this stuff. Why is this so important to ask? Here's why. Just look at the news these days, loved ones. Many churches and people claiming to be alive in Christ are not. Bottom line. And you say, well, that's a harsh word. Would Jesus say that? Yeah, Jesus did say that. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, he speaks to the church in Sardis. He says, I know your works. I see what you're doing. I see all your stuff. I see the lights. I see your stages. I see your fog machines. I see your growing numbers. I see your cushy seats and air conditioning. Here's the reality. You have the reputation, 
from man's perspective of being alive. Well, that's what life in Christ looks like. That's what it must be. I mean, aren't the masses flocking to the church? You have the reputation of being alive. Uh Uh-oh, but you're dead. Does that sober you this morning? It should. You have the reputation on the outside. You look like you're alive. You got the people. You got the resources. You got the gear. You've got all the works that we so easily think give evidence of a church that is alive in Christ. But here's a problem. You don't have Jesus. That's a sobering thought, loved ones, that we need to pay attention to. And the result is this, with that mentality, we live in a world that is increasingly distorted in their view on what true life in Christ is and what walking in him truly entails. And the problem is we start to elevate man's view over God's and his blessing is not on the church. We elevate what man says growth should look like instead of what God says growth is what alive in him means. And just a statement here. There's nothing inherently wrong with buildings. There's nothing inherently wrong in having stage and and banners. There's nothing inherently wrong in that. Okay? But these cannot be and are not to be the defining marks of a church that is alive in Christ. They won't last. And so we have to ask ourselves a question as we launch into this third ministry year by the grace of God. What does Christ say his church that is alive in him will look like? What does Christ say it will look like? What is the church that will have his blessing and he promises to build for his glory? glory? And clearly we see all throughout scripture this truth. Write this down. Here's our thesis statement. It's going to walk us through the rest of today. A church that is alive in Christ is a church that is walking in Christ. A church that is alive in Christ is a church that is walking in Christ. And here in our text today, we're going to see two truths that we must understand. We, we must understand these loved ones. We must understand and embrace them if we as a church are to continue to walk in Christ, have life in him, and see him establish this church for his glory. Not just for our generation of people sitting in this room and all those kids just down the hall, but for the generations to come, to finish well. And so let's open up our Bibles, Colossians chapter 2. We're going to stand honor the authority of God's word and we're going to read verses 1 to 7. Colossians 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle, Paul says, I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Verse 6, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving hear the word of the lord loved ones all god's people said amen you may be seated you may be seated well the third first thing we see here of a church that is alive in christ is that a church walking in christ understands the purpose of the walk we have to understand why we're exhorted in this the purpose of the walk and it is this maturing in Christ and the question that we are confronted with from these first five verses is this if I am to mature in Christ I must walk in Christ is maturity my priority is maturity my priority let's get some context on our passage before we dive in here this is first century 60 to 62 AD the Apostle Paul is writing this text from a Roman prison 
He's imprisoned for the gospel. And he's writing it to a church, just as the letter indicates, in Colossae, which is about three to ten, between three and ten years old at this point. And, and you'll see it on here. It's in modern Turkey. So you see Colossae there. It's in modern Turkey, what we would call Turkey today. But here's the thing. Paul didn't plant this church, but a man named Epaphras did. And he was from Colossae. He was a, a homebody from Colossae. And he was saved when he heard Paul preaching the word of God, preaching the gospel. And Epaphras goes back to his hometown. He leaves Ephesus, goes back to his hometown to plant the church in Colossae. Now, you notice where it's situated. That's a main traffic point, okay? Because of where it's situated, it's made up of a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, which paved the way for a head-on collision of religious practices between Jewish legalism and pagan mysticism, colliding. Okay? And they're bringing all these beliefs into the church now. They're bringing them all in. And the situation was, is that Epaphras has traveled to Rome to see Paul, to meet with Paul, to address a growing threat that is happening in the church. The same threat that's happening in the church today in the 21st century. A dangerous teaching or heresy that is growing from people inside the church as a result of false teaching which here's what it did. It minimized the work of Christ. It minimized the sound doctrine of the true gospel and it emphasized three major things, this false teaching. This, the need for Jewish rituals. It was a Jesus and religion. The Jewish rituals. You needed Jesus, but you also needed circumcision to be saved. You needed Jesus plus your works to be saved. You needed Jesus plus ceremonial rituals, purification rituals to be saved. Jesus and your effort equals salvation. Minimizing the completed work of Christ on the cross. But the second thing this false teaching did, it was a secret. They said that you needed a secret and enlightened wisdom or knowledge for salvation. That God chose a select few people to give some enlightened knowledge to beyond his word if they were going to be saved. The word, what it was saying is the word of God is not enough for the wisdom of God. And so it says, if you don't have this enlightened knowledge and engage in these mystic practices... You cannot be saved. And then the third thing that this false teaching emphasized was the worship of angels for deliverance from evil spirits. So it's this threefold assault that's coming at the church, which is very young, three to ten years old. And if we'd be so foolish, loved ones, to think that we're immune from this. Personally, in our families, or in this church. And so this is, these verses that we're going to look at today are the heart of the letter that Paul writes to address this situation and encourage the believers to greater maturity in Christ. This is what Paul devoted his life towards. Struggle, toil to see believers mature in Christ. Now, why did he focus his whole life on seeing people grow in spiritual maturity? Here's why. This is why this is so important. Because spiritual maturity was the greatest safeguard against being deceived. Still is. I'll just say this. The more you know, the less you go. The less you turn away. The more you know, the less you go. It's the greatest safeguard against being deceived by false teaching and turning away from the faith as they walked in Christ by being increasingly rooted and built up in him through knowledge and then application of that by the power of the Holy Spirit of sound doctrine. Not just knowledge, but it's leading to transformation in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, have you, have, would you agree with me? You look on the news today, we see a lot of people saying they're turning away from their faith. Is that right? There's nothing new under the sun. Same threat. This is why we see this in Colossians chapter 1, 28 and 29, just a few verses up. Paul says this, him, that is Christ, we proclaim, warning, here's the warning, everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, everyone, every believer mature in Christ, not just the pastor, 
Not just the small group leader. Everyone is at risk. So everyone must be presented mature in Christ. For this, Paul says, I toil. There's a word, struggling again with all his, that is Christ's energy, because Paul can't save anyone. Paul can't make anyone more mature. It has to be the power of Christ. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now wait, we gotta make sure we're on the same page. What are we talking about? Maturity. When we talk spiritual maturity, does this mean like I sit in a white tower and burn some candles and put a robe on and have a big white beard? No. Here's what we're talking about. The Greek word for maturity here that we see in in that verse is this. Complete or perfect. You see it on the screen. Complete or perfect. Going through the necessary stages to reach the end goal. What's the end goal? Christ-likeness. The goal that we will never reach in this life, not until the other side of eternity, if we are born again in Jesus and are with him in heaven. But we're going through the necessary stages. And sometimes, can I just say, loved ones, sometimes going through the stages can be painful. Doesn't mean God's not with you. Doesn't mean God has abandoned you. He's taking you through the furnace. He's refining you. He loves you. He's with you. Stay in the furnace until he's done. Trust him. Go through the necessary stages of refining for maturity. And Paul knew what we must know today, and it is this, that if we are to be a church, if your family and mine is to be a family, if you as an individual are to live a life that is alive and walking in Christ, we must be a church that is maturing in Christ. You can't have it any other way. If we are going to be walking in Christ, we have to be maturing in Christ, or we are going to be led astray individually and corporately. The enemy's not stupid. We're going to be led astray if we are not continuing to press into greater maturity by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is why Paul says in verse 1, look at he says, there's that word struggle again. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. The word struggle there is the root for agonize. It's agon, the Greek. It means to agonize. It's a grueling fight. It's the picture is an athlete in an athletic competition. There's a grueling fight going on or conflict. This is what Paul's struggling, to present believers mature in Christ. And he agonized and devoted his life to seeing not only the Colossian believers mature in Christ, but did you see that? But also the believers in Laodicea. Wait, what does Laodicea have to do with anything? You see it on the map here. You see this? There it is. Laodicea, it's circled right there. It's about 15 kilometers west of Colossae, and these two churches were very close. They were very intimate and connected in their lives. And so it was for the Colossians, for Laodiceans, but also, notice that, for all the other believers in churches who were part of all the churches Paul planted and had a part in establishing, but he hadn't met personally. See, Paul displays here a beautiful kingdom mentality. The church is not to have a, it's, only for us, and we're going to just hang on to ourselves. He's like, I want to see everyone presented mature in Christ. There's a kingdom mentality. That's why I love the church planting fellowship we are a part of. That's why I love that. I can't wait to preach in a few weeks, Lord willing, on Matthew 16, 18, strategic church planting, because it's the kingdom mentality. He says, we're not raising up disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit to keep them to ourselves. We want to see more churches planted. We want to see more, ch- more people sent out for the glorious grace of the gospel. This is the mentality Paul has. And what he agonized for and what we are called to agonize for. Because here's the truth. Do you ever realize this, loved ones? Here's the truth. Eyes up here. There is nothing else we could give our lives to that will last into eternity. Your job, it's not going to last. Did you know your marriage won't even last in heaven? Nobody's married in heaven. Jesus makes that very clear. Your bank accounts, where are they going to go? There is no greater mission that we could devote our lives to than seeing one another raised up and mature in Christ. But look at today. Look around today. You see why the enemy attacks? He's so cunning. You see his attack on the church right now today? No different. Is, let me ask you the question. Is maturity in Christ 
which is the knowledge of God, a growing love for God, growing Christ-likeness, a standing firm in the faith in holiness and purity and righteousness and obedience. Think about that. Is maturity in Christ increasingly held up as the defining factor of a church that is alive and walking in Christ? Think about the church landscape today. Is that what you hear of the most? That's what Jesus says needs to be the most important. But is that what we hear? Notice what Paul says here in verse 1. There's nothing in here about this. For this I toil with all God's energy that you would be conforming more to the culture. He says, for this I toil and struggle with all God's energy so you would have a bigger building. For this I toil and struggle with all God's energy so your signage can be top of the line. For this I toil that you would have the best bank account you can. It's not in there. You can't find it. You won't find it. It's not worth devoting our life to. For this I toil that you would have a mega church. You won't find it. Again, loved ones, there's nothing inherently wrong if God gives a building. But I will remind us of this. Those are no more marks of a church that is walking in Christ or alive in him than me holding a hammer makes me a carpenter. Trust me, you don't want me to hammer anything at your house. Like, honestly, you really don't. There's some wonderful people in our church who can do that, and I'll recommend them. You don't want me to do that. Just because I got a tool doesn't make me a carpenter. And if we are to be a church that is increasingly walking in Christ, we must be a church increasing, maturing in Christ. This is what we're called to devote our lives to more than anything else, individually and corporately. And you may say, well, wait a second. Okay, that's fine. I hear the charge. But what does maturity in Christ look like? Praise God. He's so clear in his word. Let's go. Let's go. There's four things we see right here. Four fruits or marks of maturity right out of the text. Number one, mark of maturity is that we're strengthened in Christ. We hope in him. Look at, look at verse two. Verse two. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. What's the first mark? That their hearts may be encouraged. The word encouraged there means strengthened in faith and hope. Strengthening. If you and I are maturing in Christ, we're increasing in hope and faith in Jesus Christ. We're less likely to run to the other things that we want to run to to put our hope in. The branding the buildings, the bodies, in an individual level, what are you running to to put your hope in? If you are growing in your spiritual maturity in Jesus Christ, we're increasingly putting our strength and faith and hope in him alone. God, this situation looks like a train wreck, but I'm putting all my hope in you. See that? I set my heart on you. That's the declaration of maturity in Christ. I set my heart. I'm not running to the fridge. I'm not running to my addiction. I'm not running to other people. I'm not running to my baby. I'm running to you. That's the mark of spiritual maturity. Who even in the sickness, even in the grief, will increasingly grow in their faith and hope in Christ and put less of it in other things. And for us, it's not putting our hope in these abilities, resources, service, planning. It's like the prayer of, Lord, frustrate the plans that are of us and give us the plans of your heart. It's setting all our hope in him. Individually, it's not saying, God, I got this. I don't need to call out to you. I'm good. Really? You sure? You sure you want to put your hope in yourself? Your ability to think through things? It's putting our faith in Christ and using what he says he will bless and build his church upon. Putting our hope, all our hope in him through his word. Clinging. All his promises are yes and amen. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? There it is. This is where it's shown. Are we putting our hope in him, our strength in his word, that it will prove true and that it is sufficient for all things we will encounter through prayer, through the power of his spirit in humility and dependency? Because here's the beautiful thing. 
That's the first mark of maturity, but notice what it leads to. Just read the text. Love this. It leads to unity through Christ. Second mark of maturity, unity through Christ. We love like him. Look what strength and hope gives. Love it. Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. The word knit together just means this, united. United. It's the picture of people all getting on the same ship and moving forward together. I love that. It's just a picture of all people moving on the same ship. Everybody aboard. All aboard. United in Christ, in, in love. Notice the word love there. What is it? Agape. What does agape mean in the Greek? Loving one another as God prefers. You, here's what it is. Here's agape love. I could sum it up. God before me, you before me. There it is. Loving one another as God prefers, not based on if I think you deserve it, not based on if it's convenient for me, loving one another as God prefers. Benevolence, charity. See, growing in maturity grows us in our love for Christ, and that will overflow us in our love for one another. You show me a church, hey, loved ones, take this to the bank. You show me a church that is maturing in Christ, and I will show you a church that is increasingly unified in Christ. Guaranteed. Divisions, gossip, factions, complaining, slandering, less. Knitting together in love and grace and patience, more. You show me people that are maturing in Christ, I'll show you a church that's growing in unity in Christ every time. It doesn't happen if we're not pressing into the Lord for greater maturity in Him. I love that. We love what He wants to love. We increasingly desire what He desires. Why? Because Christ continues to increase in us and we in our flesh continue to decrease. I love how one commentator put it this way. Christians are not to live lives as islands, indifferent to one another, but as interconnected parts of a greater glorious whole who care for and encourage one another. Listen, if you're here and and you've just been doing the church thing where you just pop in and pop out on Sunday, you never get known, never get loved, you are missing out in growing in spiritual maturity in Jesus. By God's design, he has given the church to do life together. Notice that? Did you see that little word too there in verse two? Look at this. That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in, in love. Why? Why the unity piece? Why is it so important? Oh, look, to reach all the riches of full assurance. We don't understand the full gospel if we're not doing life as God intended. There it is. So if you're here and you're like, I haven't plugged into a small group yet, do it like today. Join a service team today. Do do it. Growing in unity and love together. And what does this lead to? Number three. So marks of maturity. We're strengthened in Christ. We hope in him increasingly. Unity through Christ. We love like him increasingly. Look what unity leads to. Assurance of Christ. We're confident in him increasingly. Look at 2C. It says this. Being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, verse 3, in whom we are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The word assurance there, I love that, in verse 2. To reach the full assurance of understanding means this. Assurance, complete confidence. Complete confidence and certainty in the understanding and knowledge of the gospel through Christ. It's the mystery. What's the mystery of God? Jesus Christ incarnate. God literally becoming a man. Try explaining that. It's a mystery of God. How he chose to reveal his wisdom to the world through his son becoming incarnate, fully God, fully man, humbling himself under the Father's will to come to earth, live a perfect life for 33 years, and go to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine that we deserve. And then on three days later, he rose again from the grave so that all who confess their sin and believe in his name, that he's risen from the grave, in the name of Jesus, the beautiful name, are given life in him. That's the mystery of God. That's the wisdom 
of God. Now, now, notice this. I love this here where it says this. Full assurance of understanding, verse 2, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. The word treasure there means storehouse. Jesus Christ is the storehouse of God's wisdom. Isn't that amazing? I love that. We got the treasures. The, the word is thesaurus in Greek, which is the same as thesaurus. Every time you look at a thesaurus now, I want you to think of this. Thesaurus is the storehouse of synonym, synonyms. That's what it's talking about. Jesus is the storehouse or the treasure house of God's wisdom. Jesus Christ, the word of God. Now, think about why Paul says that. Remember our context. Important to read scripture in context. The false teachers are saying, you need enlightened knowledge. You need something besides the Bible to understand. God's like, no, you don't. I've given you all that you need, all the wisdom, all the assurance you need of what truth is, all the assurance you need of who Jesus is, all the assurance you need of my wisdom and what I want. All scripture is breathed out by God and is useful and profitable for training and righteousness. All of it. I didn't miss anything. You don't have to go to those other religions. You don't have to go to Facebook. You don't have to go to the wisdom of the world about how to raise your kids. You don't have to go to the wisdom of the world about your marriage. You don't have to try to go to the wisdom of God to try to build your, or the wisdom of the world to try to build your church and use man-centered strategies. I've given you all the assurance you need of who Jesus is and the wisdom I'm ready to give. All my promises are yes and amen in him alone. Amen? You can have full confidence. You're like, but, but is this really true? Yes, it's true. Well, how do I know? Keep growing. And you'll know, keep growing. The Holy Spirit will confirm that in our hearts. Every part of walking in Christ has its yes and amen in Christ. And knowing this, we can grow in our assurance of who he is and what he's promised. And that he's going to give us all we need for life and godliness in his name as we seek it. Biblical counselors in this church, you have someone come to you. Do you truly believe that God's word is sufficient for that, even when you feel overwhelmed. You, you're faced with a situation where God has given you an opportunity in life, but I'm so afraid, I'm so overwhelmed, I can't do it. Do you, truly believe, do you truly believe that he's gonna give you all you need for life and godliness to go through it? If he's led you to it, he'll see you through it. You gotta look to him, loved one. Get your eyes on him, get it off your situation, get it onto the one who's over it. The assurance of God, the assurance of Christ in who he is, that it's not just a fable that we follow, but it is the rock-solid, inerrant, sufficient truth of God's word that, as Psalm 18.30 says, will prove true every time and is a shield for those who take refuge. And I could go on all day about that. That's amazing, but we're going to move on. Jesus will never leave us or forsake us, and he's going to always lead us home to him. Lastly, we see here fruit of maturity, strengthened in Christ, we hope in him, unity through Christ, we love like him, Assurance of Christ, we're confident in him. And look what all this leads to, steadfastness in Christ. We stand firm in him. Look at verse 4 to 5. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Notice the word delude there in verse 4. Paul says, I'm telling you this truth. So no one's going to delude you. That means this, to deceive or mislead you. That no one's going to deceive you. How? With plausible arguments. These are the false teachers, the false doctrine coming into the church. Plausible means persuasive. Persuasive. Reasonable sounding. Did God really say? Can you really trust that? Because look at this. Over here, this is very convincing. Yeah, I believe Jesus, but he wasn't God. Look over here. Can you see it from my perspective here? Be very careful. By false teachers who give you just enough scripture, a little bit of the truth, just like Satan does all throughout scripture, he gives you a little bit of the truth, but then distorts and twists and discredits the scripture to bend it for his own purpose and lead others astray. That's what false teaching does. 
And the more we mature in Christ, rooted in sound doctrine of his word and being built up in him as it transforms us to greater Christ-likeness, the more we're protected. See what sound doctrine does? It, maturity does? It protects us. Protects us against believing the lies and deception of what is false and will increasingly be strengthened, unified, and assured in the truth. Sound doctrine, Christ-like maturity, is protection for this church. And this is why Paul says in verse 5 that he rejoices as he sees the believers doing this because their growing maturity led them to having good order and steadfastness, firmness in their faith in Christ. Now, you notice there, look at verse 5, back to the text. That's a really cute kid, but let's get into the text. All right, verse 5. All right, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see what? Your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. You know what Paul uses there? Military terms. What does that mean? They're standing in a line, they're ordered in rank, and they're united in front. They have a united front. This is what the church is called to. The church that is alive in Christ, there's the unity piece, will have a united front in him to uphold, to defend, to stand on, and stand firm against the false doctrine and teaching of the world. So question, if I'm to mature in Christ, I must walk in Christ. Let me ask you, as you see that list, is maturity your priority? Or is your time in the word more when I get around to it? Is it when I have time to get in God's word or is it I'm going to make time today to get in God's word? Which is it for you? Is maturity your priority? In plugging into the church, being united with your brothers and sisters, knit together in love, is maturity your priority? Whether through small groups, whether through serving. Is maturity your priority in how you take counsel? In how you take counsel from others? Or do you reel against it in pride? Say, no way, even when they open God's word, say, here it is. Is maturity your priority? And you may say this, well, I see the need, I understand the purpose, and I want to walk in Christ, but how do I do that? What does that practically look like? Here's the fruit of it, here's the marks of it, but what does it practically look like? Well, just keep reading the text. Once we understand the purpose of the walk, last point of the day is this, we must embrace the path of the walk, conforming to Christ. We must embrace the path of the walk once we understand the purpose. Question, a life maturing in Christ is a life conforming to Christ. It's a question, are you walking in him? Are you? When you see what's about to unpack here. Verse six and seven, let's check it out. Alive in Christ. Therefore, that means summary of everything I just said. Here's the summary. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, Paul summarizes one to five by exhorting the believers to action. He says, just as you have received Christ, how did they receive Christ? As they heard the apostles' instruction, as they heard the true preaching of the gospel, the pure gospel, they received it through repentance and confession of Jesus Christ. He says, just as you receive it, now don't keep it to yourself. It's not so you can become obese on spiritual knowledge and never work or walk it out. He says, walk in him now. Don't just keep it as head knowledge. Walk in him. Get after it. Time is short. Get walking, church. Just as you've received him. Look at the imperative. Walk in him. And here's the thing about that walk in him. We want to circle that. That's an active verb. The active verb means this. Walk in him even when you don't feel like it. Even when you're not, quote-unquote, feeling close to Jesus today. Walk in it in every situation. When it's hard, when you're in the trial, when it's easy and comfortable, walk in him. Keep walking by the power of his Holy Spirit. Live a life. What does walk mean? Here, live a life that is increasingly conformed to Christ in its daily conduct. In how you treat your spouse. In how you go to school, in how we as a church seek the Lord and the ministry opportunities that he's given. Walk in him in the daily conduct of life conforming to Christ. It is a life increasingly patterned after Christ in holiness, in purity, in obedience, in faith, in joy. This is what it means to be alive in him. We will walk in him. 
using each moment as another opportunity to grow. Now, I want to give some clarity here because you can look at that and be like, well, it's all about performance for Jesus. No. Paul's not talking about perfection in this. I just look back at my last week. I'm like, oh, dear. He's talking about perseverance in the power of the Spirit. Increasingly walking in him saying, Holy Spirit, I want to do what's right. Continue to refine me. Continue to strengthen me. To continue to give me the faith even when I'm feeling overwhelmed. Even when that darkness is closing in. Even when I feel alone. Give me the faith to not look elsewhere. But give me the confident assurance that all I need is in Jesus. That's what it means to walk. To walk in him. Notice it says walk in him, not walk with him. It says walk in him. Why? Because you and I can't do it on our own. John 15, 5, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't grow in Christ's likeness. You can't white knuckle this trip. You can't do anything apart from me. Draw near, loved one. Ask for the strength. I will give it. See, if I could sum that section up, I'd say this. You'll see it on the screen. We are called to work out for Christ what Christ has worked into us. It's a beautiful way of summarizing that. We are called to work out for Christ what Christ has worked into us. See, here's the beautiful thing. You're just like, this is too hard. God will, here's the beautiful gospel truth. God will never ask from you what he's not first willing to do in you. Stop striving on your own strength, loved ones. Ask him. Draw near to him. Be rooted in him. So how do we do this? How do we walk in Christ in the beauty and power of the gospel? Well, the life walking in Christ, we see four things here as we close out. Number one, how do we do it? We're rooted in him increasingly. Verse seven, verse seven says this. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted. What is the rooted here? Paul's using an agricultural pick. There it is. Well, lots of fruit on that tree, huh? Huh? There it is. Rooted in him, the picture of a tree, deep roots of faith going under the, under the soil. The, the root, word rooted there means this, thoroughly grounded with deep roots of faith in his word. Thoroughly grounded in his word. And you will not walk astray. Coming from sound doctrine as we humble ourselves under its authorities. Remember that? God will not bless your pride or mine. There will be deep roots of faith as long as we don't take God's words on our terms. To say, well, God, I'm going to follow it when it's comfy. I'm going to follow it when I agree 100%. When it gets me to do what I want to do instead of what it's challenging me and convicting me I need to do and I don't want to. You will not be rooted. You will not be in sound doctrine walking in Jesus Christ if you reject the very roots that he's given us to go deep. The sound doctrine of his word individually in your quiet time personal worship corporately through the preaching of it what are you going to do with this message today i really pray you don't leave it here just be like well that's a good message what's my next step to walk what's my next step to get rooted pursuing in his power christ by abiding with him in each day to be increasingly rooted in christ is to increasingly uphold his word get this and let it have the final say over your life question who has the final say over that situation you're in right now who's having the final say your fear your anxiety your desire or god's word this is what it means to be rooted in christ we let it have the final say his timing his way his desires not yours not mine Ask him to conform us to it by his power. So question, are you abiding in Christ? Are you abiding in God's word every day? You're like, I don't know how. There's reading plans at the back. Go get it. We want to supply you with that. Are you putting those roots deep every morning? Yes, when it's tired. And yes, when the coffee maker doesn't work. And are you still getting up to go deep? Are you still making church a priority? Are we as a church doing that? Letting Christ have the final say over every part. Where do we need to turn to him? Secondly, a life walking in Christ is increasingly rooted in him. Secondly is this, from rooting, it's built up in him. It's built up in him. Look at verse seven again. Rooted and built up in him. Built up in him. What are you talking about? Paul's now moving from agriculture to architecture. 
All right, you should see a picture of the building. He's talking about a scaffold being built up. We were down at Parliament Hill two days ago, and we see the scaffold on the, on the buildings there. And I'm immediately thinking about that now. And this is what's happening. This is what it means. Are we being built up in Christ? Are we getting that next level of the scaffold? Are we allowing God to do that? How? How do we do this? Here it is. Built up means this. Be growing and strengthened in fellowship and intimacy with Christ. Be growing in fellowship and intimacy. See, that's the outflow of being rooted in him, of abiding with him, intimacy, fellowship. See, recall, sound doctrine always leads us not just to information, but transformation. This is the transformation. Being built up in him. How? By increasing obedience in his power to his word. Increasing obedience by Christ's power as our life is increasing. What does this look like practically? Here's a few things. Help us think. His priorities. His desires for you. His agenda for you. Whether you can feel like you can follow it or not. His desires. His reputation more important than yours. His mission more important than what you want to do. His character increasing in you. It's the life of, I'm not who I want to be, but I'm not who I was. Can we look back a year, two years from now, and be like, there's building up in Christ, that next layer of the scaffold that he's doing as we obey his calling. So question, where are you not walking in obedience to Christ and therefore hindering your intimacy with him and being built up in him? Where do you need to repent of that ongoing sin? It's time, loved one. If you're gonna be built up, in him, we need to remove what hinders us. And Jesus Christ says, I am faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness if you would just confess your sin to me. Let the building continue. All right, thirdly, rooted in him, built up in him, the, the life that is walking in Christ is now established in the faith increasingly. The, look, at, look at verse seven again. Here's the outflow. Rooted in him, built up in him, and now established in the faith just as you were taught. The word established there means to have a secure conviction, a secure conviction of the truth of God's word. What does it do? It brings increasing stability into one's walk. When you detect false teaching, when there's something that's said or you hear a song that is sung, you're like, wait a second, wait a second. No, 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 that's not right. I'm not going to follow this. There's an increasing steadfastness that's happening, an establishment, because you know the truth and you are not swayed by what is false. And notice what he said, established in the faith just as you were taught. What's that? the trustworthy word of God that has been passed down through the apostles' teaching from Jesus Christ and preserved by the power of the Holy Spirit for us today. Remember this? If it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not You have someone adding to God's word. You have someone spinning God's word. If you are increasingly established on God's word, you're gonna recognize it for what it is and not be turned away. Don't you just look at society today? How many people are turning away from their faith pub so publicly even today? Leaders, these were, in the church, are just turning away. So why does that happen? How can that happen? Because one or more of those three things is missing. Somewhere along the way, they've stopped getting rooted. Somewhere along the way, they have not been focused on being built up in Christ and following him in obedience by his power. Somewhere along the way, that's gone off track. And it will with us too. Because Satan will do all he can to keep us from walking a life in Christ. Lastly is this. We're established in Christ. And it overflows to this. Abounding in thanksgiving. The life that is walking in Christ is abounding in thanksgiving. Just finish the text. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. What does that mean? The person the church that is walking in Christ is overflowing. There's the abounding, exceeding, overflowing with expressions of gratitude to Christ for who he is and what he's done. If I could summarize, I'd put it this way to close out. The life that walks in Christ is a life of increasing gratitude to Christ. Complaining needs to go. 
Well, I'm not getting what I want in this situation. I'm not. Are you still thankful for Christ and who he is and what he's done in your life? Are you still thankful that he's called you by name? Are you still thankful that he's chosen you? Are you still thankful that he chose to save you and wash you of your sins, even in that situation when it isn't going your way? A life that is maturing in Christ will be a life of increasing thankfulness to Christ. I just love being around thankful people. They just inspire you to greater thankfulness too. So question, what do you need to stop complaining about? And start thanking the Lord and growing, deepening those roots of faith. Because when you understand the treasure that is God's word, that is Jesus Christ, you will overflow with thankfulness. Loved ones, these are the marks of the church, the marks of the family, the marks of the life that is alive and walking in Christ. And as your senior pastor and one of your elders, and say this in the fear of the Lord, we have committed to walk in this, and this is the vision of where we're going this year, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, to see this church increasingly rooted, built up and established in him, abounding with thanksgiving by understanding his purpose and embracing his path. Why? Because he's the head of the church and he is worth it all. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you have made it so clear what in your eyes a church, a life, a family that is alive in you looks like. You've made it so clear, and I thank you that you did not leave us on our own to try to figure this stuff out. But God, I say it's so easy to say that, but God, we need your help. We need your help to live that out each day. And I thank you for the grace and mercy of the gospel of Jesus Christ that even when we choose to sin, yet you are so ready to forgive when we turn to you in repentance There is only comfort, not condemnation on the other side of it. God, and you say, I see that you stumbled. Get up, child. Get up, child. Let me refresh you. Let me care for you, but I will not bless your pride. I want to build you up. I want to root you. I want to establish you, but will you let me? And so, God, give us great faith. Give us great faith that your word is true right now. And whatever's on our heart, whatever you're bringing up right now, I pray in faith we would cast that on you and say, God, all I am here before you, reaching out for more. I let go of all I have just to have all of you. And no matter the cost, I will follow you. Hear us as we respond today in Jesus' name.